All right, let's go ahead and come back together. Uh, we today are in Psalm 127. So this summer, we have taken a break from the book of Acts. And we, as we did last summer, are going through um, several, not all, of the Psalms. Anybody reading the book of Psalms in their, in their devotions right now? Anybody reading those? Several of you are. Okay, very good. Uh, thank you, Kyle, for reading that for us uh, so ably this morning. Here's what I want to do. This week I read um, specifically about pastors, but then I know that this applies to our culture in general. Um, I want to ask you, unless you are using your device for the word of God, I would ask you to turn it off or put it on. uh, Do not disturb right now. I've already noticed several people so engaged that they were playing games while church is going on this morning. Um, So you should turn that off. I... I'm one of those that cannot do this. It's too distracting. There's too many things. And today is the first uh, Sunday of the NFL preseason. And that means my phone is going to start updating me on football things. And as much as I want to pay attention to that, I shouldn't. So let me encourage you to join me in that. And then I want to do something that applies also to all of us. Is that one of the reasons, one of the highest reasons given for burnout and for anxiety in our culture is lack of opportunity for silence and solitude. Now, I'm a podcast guy, so I fill all my quiet moments with more podcasts, more information, more learning. And um, my wife is smirking. And, <laughs> and that's not good. So I'm going to invite you to join me right now in a moment of silence and solitude as you and I read Psalm 127 quietly. This might be weird. It might be awkward. But for most of human history, this is normal. Let's go ahead and quietly read Psalm 127. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a rare moment of silence. We thank you for your word, which is living and active. It's sharp. It's a sword. Lord, it is also a balm for our wounds, for our hurts. Um, Lord, in the, a room with this many people in it, there are so many various things going on in people's lives. I can't even begin to even imagine all of them, but you know them. And so I would pray that as I preach, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, apply this word to people's hearts directly. And I do pray for myself and others that we would see our our failings and our hypocrisies and that we would not then give up or descend into sorrow and depression, but then that you would lift us up, raise us up, that we might see how you are working in us and have good plans for us. Lord, unless you build this sermon, the preacher preaches in vain. And unless... You build this church. We build it in vain. So we need you, Lord. We need you. Please minister to us this morning through Psalm 127. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I thought this Sunday we would start with talking about a doer. You guys know any doers? People that are just go, go, go. They're, they're doers, they're thinkers, they're uh, the idea people. They go out and do things. They get things done, whether in their minds or with their hands, but they're going, they're thinking, they're imagining. 
they're entrepreneuring. And I think that one of the greatest examples of this in church history is the great um, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a goer and a doer. He was a writer. He was a husband. He uh, made up for a lot of lost time in uh, struggling in his Roman Catholicism. And he came out of that uh, as a doer. And he uh, mentored and he pushed people out and he wrote letters and he published and he uh, was a talker. He was prolific and he went out and he did things. And oftentimes with people of that personality, people with that kind of work ethic can tend to overdo it. And I love the, the words from Martin Luther's famous, a mighty fortress is our God. Um, I'm going to read the first verse and I'm going to read the second verse. And I want you to consider all of the many things that Luther did, consider what he thought about God's work and his work. So many of us are familiar with the first verse. It says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Oh boy. They got some trouble here from the enemy. Well, what's, what's the antidote? What's the response? And from uh, someone who's a doer, someone who's a go-getter, someone who's type A, now it's time to fight back, right? Get equipped, get out in the battle and fight back. And there's certainly truth in that. But look at Luther's responses in verse 2. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. In fact, if you go through the next two verses, which we won't, you'll see Luther's great balance of effort and toil and striving and work combined with an understanding and a resting in God must do the work. In fact, Luther has another great quote um, that the Reformation that happened in the early 16th century happened while Luther was sleeping. Um, he has this great, this great word that he and Melanchthon, his, his uh, counterpart, his, um, his protege, they were working and writing and teaching and God made the Reformation happen even while they were asleep. They did as much as they could, but they're human and they have to sleep. And yet God spread the reformation and so we want to come today and means to work with god to work with god and there's a, a tension here um because there are two extremes my goodness another great luther quote <laughs> that is coming to me right now is luther had this great idea that to avoid extremes you needed to stay um in the in the middle as much as possible there's always extremes that we can go too far on and he had this idea of getting up on a horse and if you got up on the horse too vigorously you'd fall off on the other side but then as a response to falling off on the other side you want to get back on the horse you jump back up with more force and fall off on the other side and so luther wanted us to get on the horse and stay on the horse and not fall off on either side and so the idea here is that depending on your circumstances your uh place in life right now your personality um your job or lack thereof um your place in school um you might tend to either one of the extremes of working too hard or not doing anything, right? Um, we ha- in the past, the, the, the men studied um, a, group, a, a book about work, 
And the, uh, the idea in the book was that you can make an idol out of work. That's one idea is to, to go too far, to be a workaholic. The other idea is to be idle and not work. So we don't want to make an idol out of our work, and we don't want to be idle with not working. And so today we need wisdom. We need wisdom to figure this out because there's no, there's no recipe that I can just give you today that's a four-step recipe, and you can put it into practice, and now everything's going to be good tomorrow morning. Um, we need wisdom to figure that out in the different circumstances of life. Our circumstances change, and so our plans change. Our, uh, our place of, of where we live changes. Our place where we work changes. So we need God's wisdom. Fortunately, Psalm 127 is categorized as a wisdom psalm. We've had laments. We have praise psalms. We have thanksgiving psalms. Uh, we have those really weird royal psalms about the king. And um, you'll notice today that this psalm that we're in, 127, was written by whom? Solomon. It's written by Solomon. Solomon has two uh, psalms in the whole book. Um, his father was a little bit more prolific in that uh, respect. But Solomon wrote Psalm 72, and here Solomon is the author of Psalm 127. And as Pastor Ron said, this is one of the Song of Ascents. You'll see that in your Bible. If you look at the title there in your Bible, that's not a title that's added by an editor. That is there in the Scriptures, a Song of Ascents. And starting in Psalm 120 and going through Psalm 134, there are 15 songs. Sometimes they're called the pilgrimage psalms. Um, for uh, those of us who are going to Israel next month, we're going to try and, and read these 15 songs on the 15 steps that led to the entrance to the temple. Um, and that's often what has been thought uh, that the purpose of these psalms were for. Um, the Talmud, the ancient Jewish document, says that the um, pilgrims would sing them on their way up the steps of the temple. Um, others say they, they look like they're just the songs that people would sing as they came to Jerusalem for the three yearly feasts. And that makes a lot of sense as you read them because so many of these psalms talk about going up. They talk about ascending. Even the, the Hebrew sounds like it's getting bigger. It's going up. It's ascending to the place of the Lord. And so many of these psalms are also about uh, Zion or Jerusalem. And you can see that um, in the psalms, even surrounding the one that we're in today. Um, psalm 126, the one before it, talks about returning to Zion. And it may be uh, after the children of Israel were dispersed to the nations and they came back. But whatever the case, these 15 psalms are given to us um, as pilgrimage psalms. And we are all on a journey. And... Uh, the New Testament teaches us that we're strangers, we're aliens in a foreign land. And as we make our way to uh, heaven where we are citizens, we can connect with these psalms. So as we look at Psalm 127, it's only five verses, but there is a lot in here. And there is a lot in here that makes me <laughs> embarrassed. It makes me feel awkward. It convicts me of sin. It reminds me of things that I'm not doing. And I hope that that in one sense that would happen today and that we would also then be encouraged that the Lord builds the house and that we can trust the Lord to help us get done what we need to get done. He's not leaving us on our own. So you'll notice um, in your notes that kind of the, the mission statement, the, the thesis for today is let us never forget God is the essential ingredient to true success and his gifts enable any and all of our accomplishments. So that, that God is the essential ingredient to true success. His gifts enable any and all of our accomplishments. So many of 
uh, the world's accomplishments are visible now because social media. You can accomplish something, post it on, and everyone can see it. Um, people have followers. You can easily see all these way more productive than you people getting way more things done and making way more money than you. Oh, that's tough. And then we, yet we keep scrolling. <laughs> here, here is what we are presented with today. We are presented with not looking at how others are doing things, but looking to the Lord and partnering with him as we work with him. Solomon wrote this psalm. And that's, that's really um, significant because as we look even at the first verse, we see a, a house being built and we see a city being watched over. And, and that's really significant because if you go back to 1 Kings, Solomon was the king who built the temple, the house of the Lord, and he built up the defenses of Jerusalem, the city of God. So although this psalm is written generally enough to apply to all of us, I think that the specifics came out of Solomon's experience building up the temple and building up the city of Jerusalem. Now, a lot of scholars uh, don't think that Solomon wrote this psalm. They think it's maybe just kind of attributed to like it's Solomonic. It's kind of like Solomon. I, I think that, that, that the burden of proof lies on someone who, who makes that claim because it says of Solomon, and we go back to 1 Kings, we know that Solomon... Those thousands of proverbs, I think a thousand and five songs. So the fact that he has two included in Israel's songbook is is not wild at all. And it comes out of his life. In fact, what's something interesting is you look at the end of verse two, and that one of the antidotes to anxiety and worry is that God gives to his beloved sleep. Do you know Solomon's other name? God told David to name his son Jedidiah. And Jedidiah comes from the word beloved. And so it's almost like Solomon is sneaking his name into the psalm to say that the beloved of God gets sleep. And so this is not just a generic kind of prescription. Hey, if you're having some trouble, get some sleep. Um, I mean, I guess at the very lowest level, that's, that's, that's true. That's right. But I think Solomon is, again, speaking from his experience. He's a builder. He's a planner. He's a king. But he also knows in wisdom that God has gives sleep to his beloved. So it's almost like Solomon is saying, he gives his beloved sleep. <laughs> That's me, Solomon, who gets the sleep. So it's so interesting to think about Solomon being the author, the author because it makes so much sense in thinking about his personal experience, which makes me think right now that we need to figure out to do what Solomon did, to take our life experience to see God in it, and to speak of that to our kids, to our grandkids, to those around us, to those in a small group with us. We need to see what God is doing and pass that on. Solomon took from his personal experience, and although it was very specific, was able to generalize it for those who would sing and read this after him. What a good uh, exhortation for us to do that as well. Well, let's look at uh, uh, the first verse. Verse 1, and in verse 1a, we get the first point. Don't forget God in your building. Don't forget God in your building. Verse 1 says, unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And I feel the need to repeat this every once in a while just to remind you, if you see LORD in all caps in your Bible, that is a translation of the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the personal covenant name of God. If you see Lord without all the caps, it means Lord or Master, Adonai. And so this is the covenant personal name of God that Solomon is using. Unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, how many of you 
thought of the Keith Green song when you read this. Anybody think of that this week? Is it just me? Oh, man. Yeah, Joey, all right. We got, I, I, talk, I talked to Ron. I said, we should get that. It's a little funky song. We can kind of get that going on Sunday morning. I, I don't think that was, that was attempted. But Keith Green, back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, wrote a song. It was called, Unless the Lord Builds the House. I mean, real. They, they labored for hours on that title. But um, one of the verses um, says this. You love the Lord, and it seems like he's been leading. You've asked him to bless all your plans. But are you so sure you're just doing what you want to? You're not just doing what you want to? Building your house on the sand. Keith Green's admonition to us there was, yes, plan and build. Are you sure? Make sure. Because unless the Lord builds it, it's in vain. He also says this, working so hard at the things that you believe in, no one can tear you away. But don't you lose sight of the very one who calls you. You may be sorry someday. And then he reminds us from the New Testament, for wood, hay, and stubble will all burn up in the fire. All those deeds that we do in our own work, they they will amount to nothing unless the Lord is in it. And so the building of the house actually is a great picture for us of what, uh, how we can apply this. Because uh, how many of you are, well, let's say it's 2022. How many of you in 2022 already or planning on um, some kind of construction at your house? Okay. Yeah, some of you are in the middle of that right now, okay? Yeah, a, an addition, maybe a playground, uh, so, uh, some renovations going on. That's perfect to think about this. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless he, unless he helps you in your plans to put the blocks together, those who build it labor in vain. What's also interesting is that that could apply to anybody's house, anybody's building. It also, I think, applies to Solomon's understanding of building the Lord's house uh, when he built the temple. And it also applies to the family because house is another word for family. I want you to see this in more detail back in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Solomon is involved here. He's not yet alive, but he's involved in this passage. This is um, the prophet Nathan talking to david and the lord speaks to david david has has conquered a lot of his enemies finally there's peace around israel and david looks at the lord's house and sees a tent and he looks at his house and he sees something that looks really nice and it's a lot more permanent and so david says we need to build yahweh a house we need to build him a house And God comes and talks to David. I want you to look in 2 Samuel 7, verse 5. God tells Nathan, the prophet, to go tell David this. Go tell my servant David, thus says Yahweh, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. He basically says, when did I ever tell anybody to build me a house? When did I tell you this? And then he reminds David, listen, I took you from the pasture. You were just a lowly shepherd. And I put you in charge of my people. And I've, I've cut off your enemies. Now David fought. David was a warrior. He killed lots of people. He fought God's enemies. But notice God is, is emphasizing, I gave you rest from all your enemies. I cut them off. I have made your name great. 
Now look at verse 11. This is, this is incredible. The second half. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, Yahweh declares to you that Yahweh will make you a house. David wanted to build God a house. God says, David, hold on. I'm going to build you a house. Well, what, what kind of house is that? Look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his, his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. Go down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. God and David are using house in multiple ways throughout this passage. What God promised David was a dynasty, a family, a house. So it makes total sense to me as we look at this to apply all the different senses of house in Psalm 127 so that we can, we can see the phases of our life that this applies to. And I think that the second half of the psalm is, is, is hard sometimes um, for various reasons in various um, circumstances, family circumstances. But what we want to understand here is that Yahweh is the one who's building the house. He's building your family. And, and he's building this family. He's building the house, the temple of God, which we know from the New Testament is we are the bricks that are being fitted into God's house. God's building this family. God's building this house. So the applications of this are, are so many. So this applies to your, your home life. Whether you're, you're, you're single or whether you have a big family, whether you're empty nesters, however this works, this applies to your house. God building a house. This applies to this house. And secondarily to the structures that God has blessed us with here on campus, but to, to the household of faith that God is building. God is building the people here at Village Bible Church. And God is building, through Jesus, a house, a place for us to dwell in for eternity. You see, that, that promise to David was directly about his son Solomon. But Solomon didn't live forever, and Solomon's kingdom didn't last forever, and Solomon won't sit on the throne forever. But the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Solomon, born in a lowly manger in Bethlehem, the city of David, will is, shall reign forever. God is building a house, and he's building houses. And so the, the, the way that you and I can read this, let's say next year you're reading through the Bible and you get to Psalm 127. I hope that you remember and see, wow, look at the various applications I can make just from that first phrase, that unless the Lord builds the house. It's important for us to see also, I think Solomon might be thinking of something else. If Solomon was also thinking about a story he grew up hearing in the book of Genesis about the vain ideas of building a house in a place called Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, the people have disobeyed God. God told the descendants of, of Noah, spread out, multiply, fill the earth with my little images, humans, fill the earth with them. And they say, no, 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 we're all going to go to this one place and we're going to build ourselves a city, a tower, stretch up into the heavens. We're going to make a great name for ourselves. The Lord didn't build that house. The Lord came down 
and stopped work on the house. He stopped work on the house. And what's so interesting is the very next chapter, the very beginning of Genesis chapter 12, God chooses just some guy named Abram and says, I'll make your name great. And in your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you see the, the connections here? I might be stretching a little bit, but I think there's, there's some ideas for us to connect here that the people in Babel tried to build a tower into the heavens to make their name great, and God said, no. But when God's people join God in building the house that he is building, then the labor is not in vain. Now, it may seem like it's in vain. How many of you have taught kids, your own kids or kids here at church and Awana, other places, how many of you have taught kids and think, no, they're not getting it? All of my teaching and discipline and rewards and urgings and prayers and meals, they're all in vain. <laughs> I am not saying that all it takes is for us to go, yay, let's build with God and it'll all be happy. Vanity um, is, is more than just a, a snapshot. It is what, what's going to last. So we work with, for what's going to last. And we have to have the long view that it might seem like it's in vain, but if we line up with God and his purposes and his commandments and his laws and what he has given to us, then we know we're not building in vain, even when it feels like it's in vain. Even when it feels like it's in vain. It's so important that we notice this. In fact, if you have a New Living Translation, you see that um, it says the, build, the labor is not wasted. It's not wasted labor. And so there's a good reminder for us that we need to not forget God in our building. And the second half of verse 1, 1b, is our second point for today. Don't forget God in your planning. And I know they're closely related, but I think that the second half of verse 1 bears this out. Don't forget God in your planning. How many of you are planners? Okay, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm speaking primarily to you. How many of you are not planners? Let's, let's wing it. Let's, yeah, okay. All right, some of you are married and both raised your hands. <laughs> Go to Terry and Joanne and get some wisdom for how that works. That's great. I am primarily speaking to planners, although this obviously is for all of us, because even though you, you non-planners have to plan, even if it's two seconds beforehand, okay? So we, we don't want to forget God in our planning. Um, the, the, the way I get this is from the second half. Unless Yahweh watches over the city... The watchman stays awake in vain. Jeremiah, do we have that picture of the watchtower? This is um, a, a rebuilt watchtower um, in uh, Israel. Um, it's a model, and you'll, you'll see the steps that lead up um, to the top. And um, sometimes they were covered so that there was um, some shade for you while you're doing this. But we see throughout the scriptures the watchmen. And the watchmen are watching for what enemies primarily okay they're watching for enemies um but they're up they're up high so they can see and this is a good plan this is a good idea put the watchman up you see um even uh in places in the first and second kings when the watchmen are looking in second samuel and david's watchmen are looking to see how the battle went um you can see them up there doing a really important thing it's a it's a wise idea it's a good strategy but lest we think we have made the right plans and everything's going to go according to our plan, we should remember that unless the Lord 
unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So there's even this picture of at night or when the watchman is tired at the end of his watch and he's looking out. Yes, good plan. Good idea. But we don't just rely on the watchman. We need the Lord of the watchman. So as we plan, as we look to to work hard, to plan ahead, which, by the way, the Bible is very pro-planning. <laughs> um, look, go look at the book of Proverbs written by a guy named Solomon and, and look at the idea of planning. You can also find many Proverbs that give us wisdom into just because you plan something, we all know it's not going to go according to plan necessarily. Some of you are on those, um, those renovation building projects, had plans that didn't quite work out. <laughs> But as we plan, we shouldn't not plan. As we plan, we include the Lord in our plans. And with an open hand, we say, not my will, but yours be done. The idea here is dependence. Yes, put the watchman in the watchtower. Yes, keep a good eye out. Look for your enemies. Stay alert. But unless the Lord is in it, it's also in vain. It's a waste. It's vanity. It's empty. So I want to make sure that before we leave verse 1, the Old Testament and New Testament both praise hard work. And they both, and they both praise proper, appropriate planning. But none of that should be undertaken without the Lord. And so some of, some of you are thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, um, you should look around the room and find those who you consider to be wise people and ask them, and wise people who are maybe a little grayer than the rest of us, you have learned not merely through success, right? You've learned a lot through failure. Please teach us. Please pass that along to us. And young people, be humble. Here's one of the things that I have noticed about um, people in their 30s and 20s. Um, For whatever reason, I think it's because of the internet, for whatever reason, uh, our generations can tend to be really hesitant about people giving us advice. Um, you need to get advice from older people because you're dumb, okay? <laughs> All right? Um, you and I have not seen very many things yet, um, so you need to seek advice. Now listen, yes, can it get annoying when, when everybody offers their opinion uh, unasked, unheeded? Sure, okay, yes. But you know what you have the ability to do? You have the ability to sift through that and kindly say thank you for that even as you're rejecting it inside your head. But when the good wisdom comes, you can accept that and say thank you and take it and run with it. That's really important for us to notice. That that God does not just give us only the Bible so we have to be eggheads and have everything memorized. You should have lots of memorization done in the Bible. You should soak yourself in the Bible. But God's also given us each other so that we might get wisdom from one another. So as we move to um, the third point, I, I think it's really important to notice where this is going. This is headed in the direction of saying, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord all the time. And before we go any further, I want to say yes, 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 and amen. But that's not great advice if that's all you're giving to people, right? How many of you have been hurt by someone say, just trust the Lord, brother? Like, has anybody been hurt by someone saying that in an improper time, in an inappropriate time? Yeah, we don't want to just throw trust to the Lord around there like it's just some kind of blanket that makes everybody feel nice and warm and cozy. It needs to be contextual, It needs to be, we need to be seeing who the person that we're talking to is. You don't just say, well, trust the Lord, brother. Oh, so I haven't been? (laughs) Right? We need to be careful in our advice giving 
that we make sure that we're not just going to trite Christianese. Okay? You'll notice that the Bible never says just trust the Lord. Okay? There's lots of wisdom surrounding the command to trust the Lord. But when we give it, fallible humans, we need to be very careful that we give that in a kind, helpful, contextual way. Sometimes maybe hold off, wait for a little while until you say that to somebody. Find out what's going on in their life. Okay, let's go to point three. Don't forget to rest in all your working. Don't forget to rest in all your working. This is the part where I feel like the biggest hypocrite because <laughs> so many Sundays I am up here on so little sleep. <laughs> um, so as I was preparing this the whole time, I was like, okay, Lord, I get it. All right, I, I get it. I need to apply this to myself as well. So I come to you today saying I am a big failure in this department and would love to join with you in trusting the Lord to know that he gives his beloved sleep. Work is good. Hard work is good. Um, yesterday I was at uh, my, my great uncle's memorial service, and almost every person who spoke about my great uncle, uh, the first thing they said was he was a hard worker. He was a hard worker. He was an entrepreneur. He worked hard. He, he um, was always thinking of ideas, but he, he always worked hard. He required his workers to work hard. Um, and, and that's that's all over scripture said to be good and said to be right. So we want to work hard. And sometimes that inevitably will mean losing sleep. Right? Young moms, that happens sometimes, losing sleep. Yeah. Um, and I also want to uh, approach this, that some of you are struggle with insomnia. And I, I don't want to slap a Band-Aid on here and just say, you know, well, you just got to get some sleep. <laughs> uh, been trying, you know. I want to be careful there, but I do want to, to note what God says here. This is related to the rhythms that God sets up in the, in the very beginning in Genesis. The Sabbath day is a day of rest. Because we need it, because we're human beings. Notice God gave it before the fall. And even more so after the fall, we have to rest. You can't burn the candle on both ends too long. It won't work. Now some of us, some of us need more sleep than others. And if you need less sleep, don't be arrogant about that. Don't, don't brag about that. Um, also, maybe, you know, take a dose of humility and maybe you do need more sleep than you think you do. But this is how God made us. God made us to be creatures. And one of the things that God put into our programming is that we need rest. We need sleep. And one of the reasons we need it is to recognize we are not in control. I have to close my eyes and go unconscious like some of you are doing right now. <laughs> and trust that while my eyes are closed and I don't have much awareness of what's going on around me, that the world will still run. This is not, again, like a, band, like a slap and a band-aid on it. But we need to, we need to really consider this. Um, one of the, the commentators I read this week said, no matter how intense our efforts, success comes from God and from nowhere else. Another one said this, God's involvement in human life is what leads to success and satisfaction. So many of, of those who have worked so hard and made riches, millions and billions, don't we know that so many of them are empty inside? And so many of them have, have said this in public, in interviews, in magazines, in newspapers, and podcasts. 
that just the mere fact of working hard and succeeding without something more is not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. So we need to rest. We must rest. We must plan to rest. We must build rest into our schedule. You know, one of the things that we want to try not to do here at Village is schedule so many programs and activities that everyone's always going to church stuff. Ah, there's never any time to rest. And sometimes we do a better job at that, and sometimes we do not as good a job at that. But we do want to consider what it means to, for the vanity of rising up early, going late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why? Because God gives to his beloved sleep. An ancient church father said this. He taught his people this. Beware the blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. Beware the blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. God does not need your help. In God's grace, he has asked for you to be involved in what he is doing. And because you've been asked, you've been summoned by the king, what greater thing could we be involved with than partnering with God? And I don't just mean that in some hyper-spiritual way, like come to church. I mean like when you go to work tomorrow, partner with God in what he is doing through your job. If you're building things, if you're organizing things, all of those things that you can find in, in work, we are acting like God because God is a working God. He's a creator. He's a sustainer. He's an organizer. So as we do even our secular work, we can be doing God's work with him. I think another thing we need to think about too is, is why do we have so much anxiety in our culture? Why do we have so much worry? And why is it okay? I think a lot of it is we don't sleep. We don't, we don't sleep enough. Now, I really want to say something to our junior hires and our high schoolers and our young adults right now. You guys are young and you can do this. I mean, you can pull all-nighters and be fine the next day. You eat like two pizzas, throw down three Red Bulls. You're doing fine. You're doing okay. You're awake or something like it. And praise God, he's given our young people energy. We need that. But you're not God. And God made you to sleep. God made you to recognize that you are a creature and you need to sleep. And you need to set good uh, examples and you need to get a good pattern in of your life when suddenly that energy seems to go away mysteriously. Now, some of the people in here are thinking, I got nine hours of sleep last night and I'm still exhausted. Yep, your metabolism starts to slow down. What is happening? The gift of God is sleep. So take it. Take it. If you're struggling to sleep, you need to go see your doctor. You need to ask people to pray for you. This is a spiritual issue. Some of you will struggle with sleep the rest of your life. Some of us, our head hits the pillow and we're gone. We're out. And God has given us all different gifts and different things happening. But this is important to understand your creatureliness. Trust the Lord to give you sleep. It doesn't mean he's going to give it to you every night. It doesn't mean it's going to happen like that. This is not a prosperity gospel light. 
Just ask for sleep and God will give it to you. But we, you need to fight for sleep. You need to fight for rest. Resting in God. So maybe in those times when you can't sleep, you still ask God, I can't sleep. Help me to rest. Help me to rest in you. Let's move on to the second half. And, and some people say, what in the world does the second half of this psalm have to do with the first half? And it's all about trust. It's all about trust. So somehow I'm going to trust the Lord that in five minutes we're going to get through this. Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh. What? Where'd that come from? We were building and planning. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Huh? So my kids are arrows. I'm supposed to shoot them at my enemies? I mean, that can't be literal, but what does it even mean metaphorically, right? Like, Son, I'm going to metaphorically shoot you at the enemy. What does that mean, Dad? I don't know, but the Bible says it. Well, what's really important for us to see here is... is um, that word heritage in verse 3 and the word reward. And I think there's some humility required here because um, I know as I, as I step on this landmine of a passage that I, I'm stepping into a very sensitive subject. Um, and I'm, se- I'm stepping onto a subject that has great disagreement in the Christian world and in our world in general. How many kids to have? When are you going to have kids? How many more kids are you going to have? Why don't you guys have kids yet? All of these things are not only sensitive but some of them are very painful. And I want to acknowledge that right now. I also want you to look at that word reward and not think it has anything to do with you. I have blank kids. Right? Look what I made. (laughs) That's really, really important to see that we don't pat ourselves on the back. I'm talking... To you, parents and grandparents of large families that like to brag about how large your families are, be careful that you acknowledge God opening the womb all throughout the Old Testament. Don't we see that? Barren, God opened her womb. Barren, God opened her womb. And it's not like barren for three months. It's like barren for 25 years. It's like Sarai not having a child until she's 80, 90 years old. Um... Don't pat yourself on the back. Reward here has nothing to do with wages or earnings. And it's a rather unfortunate English word, I think. It's like a reward, like, yay, ding, 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 you won, more kids. I think the idea here is that you take the heritage from Yahweh and you see it as a parallelism with the reward. It's a gift from God. In fact, the word often, it's sakar, the word often is something that Yahweh owns but shares with others, which is a really good way to look at your kids. Right? Because otherwise they're going to become idols. <laughs> and if they fail, you're a failure. And if they succeed, you're the best parent in the world. And both of those are bad places to be. It's important for us to see that children are a heritage from Yahweh. And I know in this room that many of you want more kids. And I know that there is pain and hurt involved in this. And I don't think that you should read this and say, what's wrong with me? Why won't God give me more kids? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why God has given some of us more and some of us less. 
But I do want you to see here that whatever kids you have, whether they are your biological kids, whether you've adopted them into your family, whether they're your kids here at church because you drive them to and fro, because you love them, because you're a grandparent, because you've adopted them, whatever children are here, they are a heritage from Yahweh. They're an inheritance from God. God has provided them for us. God has given us all these kids on Wednesday night starting next month at Awana. What are we going to do with that heritage, that inheritance that God has given to us? For the brief time that they're with us, how are we going to shape them into arrows that will fly at the enemy? How are we going to take the precious nature of these children and help shape them into godly men and women? Joseph Hall was a a Puritan, and he was a a poor man. But he said this about a a, a great man in the the neighborhood who came. I remember a great man coming into my house, seeing all my children standing in order of their age and stature. He said, these are they that make rich men poor. But he straight received his answer. I love that. Joseph said, nay, my Lord, these are they that make a poor man rich. For there is not one of these whom we would part with for all your wealth. And that's what the Bible teaches. That our children are from the Lord. They are not just, they are not just a burden. They are not just a tax deduction. They are precious things that God has given to us. And he's given us a great responsibility to shape them and to raise them in the things of the Lord. So number four, don't forget children are a blessed gift. And number five, because we're at the end, don't forget the strategic advantage of believing children. I think the idea here is that the arrow is an offensive weapon. The arrow is not a defensive weapon. It's the ancient artillery. And again, I, I don't know exactly what to do with this, um, your kids are artillery uh, picture. Um, there's a lot of debate um, in the commentaries about this. Um, but I think that the idea is that um, your kids are a gift from God, and God is using the kids that he has given to us to build his church, to, and, and frankly, to, to continue the human race, right? Which is what God told Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. We're obeying God when we do this. Just as it's vanity to build a house without the Lord, to watch over a city without the Lord, it is vanity to think that we can raise a family, a house, without the Lord. The Lord has to be involved in these very down-to-earth things, right? Building, planning, city work, family work, house work. God has given us these things. We must trust Him as we do these. We must include Him, unless the Lord builds the house. And so, uh, I just want to remind us as, as we end, that the application in your notes is for you to fill out. Unless the Lord. Look at John fifteen five. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's vanity from God. Unless the Lord builds a sermon, unless the Lord builds the church, unless the Lord builds my ministry, unless the Lord builds my marriage, unless the Lord builds my children and grandchildren, 
unless the Lord builds the addition to my house, unless the Lord builds my career, unless the Lord builds my parenting, unless the Lord builds my retirement, unless the Lord builds my education, it's all in vain. You don't have religious work to do on Sunday and secular work to do during the week. You have God's work to do all the time. And the good thing is he has given us his spirit to partner with us, to fill us, to give us the power to do it with the right motivations for the right reasons, headed in the right direction with lots and lots of grace involved. So we have the motivation to get going on this with the Lord. We work together with the Lord, knowing that he's got to be in it, which means if he's not in it, we transition, we move, we go to the next thing. That's okay to find that out. The Lord's not in this one. Okay, let's move to this ministry. Let's do this. I thought this is what I was supposed to do. Clearly not. Let's go this way. Or I don't know what to do. Ask the Lord's people to come alongside you and help you. There's so much, so much good stuff in here, and, and I just want to leave you with the reminder that, like Spurgeon said, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. None of it is from our own doing. And so because it's all of grace, we have what we need to move forward. So Lord, I pray this morning for those who have pleaded with you to open their wombs, that you might give those more children. Lord, I pray that we would fight back against a culture that, that sees babies and children in the womb and outside as burdens, as statistics. Lord, help us to welcome children into our homes, into our families, into our church. Lord, help us not to judge other families for the size of their family. There's so much we don't know. Lord, encourage us to be fruitful and multiply. Lord, encourage us to include you in our parenting and our grandparenting and how we help the youth and how we help the children and how we watch the babies in the nursery. Lord, I pray that what we're building would be something that you're in. Because if you're not in it, we don't want any part of it. So, God, we pray for your blessing on the ministry of Village Bible Church and all of the people that make up this church. I can't pretend to know what that means. But I have some ideas, and so do your people that you've brought here. So help us to move forward with you at the center so that we might not build plan in vain. Help us to apply this this week as we go to work and school. Lord, Lord, I pray for all the kids that are going to school tomorrow, school starting. Um, Lord, I pray that they would take you with them to school. And Lord, I, I pray as they study your world, that they would see your involvement in it, the intricacies of creation and mathematics and poetry. Lord, I pray as we learn now in the Sunday school hour that you would help us to apply this, that we would really live like this is true. In Jesus' name, amen.